Welcome to Historical Fiction Unpacked. I'm your host, Allison Treat. Hello, readers, and welcome to episode 23 of season four. I'm so glad you've joined us today. I had a conversation a while ago with Sarah Elizabeth Sawyer. She's an amazing author, and I'm going to share all the details about her with you in just a moment. But first, if you listen to this podcast frequently, you know that I typically ask you to help out the podcast in the following ways. First, subscribe or follow the podcast in whatever app you like to use to listen to the podcast. And next, uh, the very simple next step is to leave a review, especially in Apple Podcasts. This helps other lovers of historical fiction to find the show. And then if you'd like to join the conversation in our Facebook group, go ahead to Facebook and search for Historical Fiction Unpacked Podcast Group, or you can find it in the show notes. There's a link to it there always. And you can also follow the show on Instagram at Historical Fiction Unpacked. If you'd like to help us keep the lights on here at Historical Fiction Unpacked, please check out our Patreon page, which you can find at patreon.com slash Treat, or as always, there's a link in the show notes to get there, and you can find out all the different perks that come with supporting us through Patreon. So moving on from that... Our guest today is Sarah Elizabeth Sawyer, and she is a story archaeologist. She digs up shards of past lives, hopes, and truths, and pieces them together for readers today. The Smithsonian's National Museum of the American Indian honored her as a literary artist through their artist leadership program for her work in preserving Choctaw Trail of Tears stories. A tribal member of the Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma, she writes historical fiction and westerns from her hometown in Texas, partnering with her mother, Linda K. Sawyer, in continued research for future works. I just thought this conversation with Sarah was so fascinating. I love that she brings her American Indian heritage into a lot of her writing. And um, you will notice that she uses some Choctaw words when we speak to each other. And she just had so much information to share about um, her own writing journey and also her heritage of faith through her family and um, and the Choctaw people. So I just learned so much, and I know that you guys are going to learn a lot too. And you're just going to really love this conversation with Sarah Elizabeth Sawyer. So without further ado, here is that conversation. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Halito, Allison, Yakoki, thank you for having me. I am just so excited to be on Historical Fiction Unpacked with you. Yeah, I'm excited to have you here. Can you tell me exactly what you said when you greeted me? I said Halito, which means hello. It's a friendly greeting in Choctaw, and Yakoki, which means thank you. I love it. I love the sound of the language. It's really beautiful. So there are so many keys that are buried in our language that... I'm not a fluent speaker, but I try to use it and incorporate it in my work whenever I can. Mm-hmm. That's great. So we're going to be talking about several of your books today. So I thought maybe we could start off with you sharing a little bit about yourself and what kind of things you write. I began writing when I was about five. I had a story to tell about kindness, and I was so terribly shy, Allison, whenever someone would 
ring the doorbell, I would just run and hide behind my mama's skirt. <laughs> and oh. I, I, but I knew I, I wanted to get this story out. And I knew the only way mm-hmm. that I would be able to do it was through writing. And so I wrote that first story. My mama, bless her heart, saved it. And so we still have that preserved. As I, oh, grew, cool. as I grew, I continued writing and most of all reading. And I absolutely fell in love with historical fiction whenever I was young. I read it all the way through my preteen and teen years. Somewhere along in there, though, I realized that not every story I was reading was historically accurate. So the historical fiction that I was falling in love with, much of it was, and I would seek that out. But I was just so brokenhearted (laughs) when I learned that it wasn't. And I always knew whenever I wrote, I wanted to focus on that accuracy. And that's something that became a core of who I am still today as an author of historical fiction, most especially. I began writing or continued writing throughout my teens. I didn't take it seriously or to heart until I was about 24, 20, eh, 23, 24 years old. And mm-hmm. it, was, it was just at a point in my life when I'd been doing a lot of different things. I'm an entrepreneur at heart and I'd started a lot of different businesses and, and just different ventures. I had so many things going on that I just felt like it was strewn over this whiteboard and everything that I thought I was supposed to be doing, that everybody thought I was supposed to be doing, or that I was doing that I wanted to do or needed to do was just scattered. Mm. And I had an email down <laughs> about 10 or 12 years ago and didn't do anything for a few days and just really stayed in prayer. At that point, I felt that moment of surrender coming on. And I just took an eraser and began wiping off each one of those things off the board. Hmm. I remember coming to writing and I just paused because I thought, what if God doesn't give this back? Because I was committed to wiping the slate clean, so to speak, and not putting anything back on there that he didn't put on there. So I hesitated at writing because I thought, what if he doesn't put that back on there? Can I really live without writing? So I took a deep breath and and wiped that off and handed handed the marker to God to put whatever he wanted back on that board. Nothing happened for about seven months. And then brought writing back into my life in a way that I knew this was this was my purpose. This is what I had been called and created to do. And I've been pursuing it full time basically ever since. Wow. I love that story. That's amazing. And so what are most of your books about? Most of them at this point are focused on my Choctaw history and culture. So I'm a tribal member of the Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma. And I wrote that first story after being inspired on our annual Trail of Tears commemorative walk. And I've done that walk since I was a little kid. But whenever I did it the first time as an adult, we had recently uncovered more of our family history and stories of our ancestors who crossed on the Trail of Tears. So with every step I took, I was mirroring or reflecting that on that journey that they took and how different, how contrasted those two journeys were. And so that was my first uh, flash fiction was contrast. So since then, I've really been focused on my Choctaw history and culture with doing those stories. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I call those my Choctaw heritage books. Um, So they're on their own collection now because I've actually been branching out and doing some Westerns, which I grew up on Westerns and uh, did want to come back to that eventually with my stories. So I created the Doc Beck Western series, which features 
an Omaha Indian woman doctor, which her character was inspired by an actual Omaha uh, female doctor in the 1890s. So I've been branching into that, but primarily, and, and all of my, my genres are historical fiction. That's, that's my primary genre. And Westerns, they have, I always considered Westerns historical. And then I learned yeah. that there's actually historical Western category because there are modern day Westerns that are featured in the 20th and 21st century. So you actually do want to right. distinguish them as historical Westerns. Yeah, so interesting. So I want to kind of talk about your Choctaw Tribune series, which I believe you started releasing those, was it 2015? 2015. Okay. Um, So can you tell me about that series? I I love that series. That actually started, uh, the core of it started as a flash fiction about this brother and sister who owned a newspaper and I'd, I'd done it for a writing challenge. And people absolutely fell in love with those characters. I told my mm-hmm. mom one day, I was like, I think, I think these characters are Choctaw. <laughs> and it just, just <sighs> everything fell into place at that point. So I wrote the first book and we released it in 2015. It's called The Executions. Very charming title. It's, <laughs> it's not nearly <laughs> as, as violent or, or gory as it might sound. There is, uh, I always tell people, because I have a lot of homeschool families and all that read my stories, that there is some period violence, and but I wouldn't rate anything that I do over like PG-13, even the, the war novel that I did. But the, okay. the Choctaw Tribune series, uh, you know, it just lets you explore the old Choctaw Nation with Matthew and Ruth Ann Teller. That's the brother and sister pair um, who own a newspaper called the Choctaw Tribune. And that puts them in the midst of shootouts and tribal upheavals with the coming of the Dolls Commission in the 1890s. And these changes in Indian territory and the old Choctaw Nation just threaten everything that Matthew and Ruthann have known and force them to decide mm. if they're going to take a, take a stand for truth, even in the face of death. And so this this is it's a historical fiction series, but it does have that Western flair with shootouts and outlaws and that sort of thing. Uh, but it explores racial, political, spiritual and social issues in the old Choctaw Nation and beyond. Right. Um, and so you wrote the first two books kind of close together, and then it seems like you took a break from that. Oh, was a break. Were you, <laughs> <laughs> were you just writing other things? I'm what, what curious. Happened, what happened is I had already written book three, Shaft of Truth, in, uh, by 2016, which I planned on releasing it the next year. And I checked my calendar and checked my gut, and I was like, you know, I've always wanted to write a novel about the Choctaw Code Talkers of World War One, and aren't mm. we about in those hundred year anniversary of World War One? And you know, I'm going through yeah. my history and and uh, checking my dates. So I looked that up, and America entered the war in 1917, and the war ended November 11th, 1918, and that was about 2016. And I thought the Choctaw Code Talkers need to be a part of the narrative of this commemoration. I knew it would be a, a large comm- commemoration. There would be a lot of stories and everything told around it. And I wanted to make sure the Choctaw Code Talkers were included. So I hit pause on all of my other projects and spent the next two years working on a number warrior, Choctaw Code Talkers of World War One. That journey took me to France to do research and wow. just all kinds of things that we can get into later if you want yeah. to. But I did put... Shaft of Truth, book three in the Choctaw Tribune series on pause. And then I spent most of 2019 editing it 
honestly, it took me that entire year. I don't, I don't think I created anything new in 2019. I was just shot after doing oh. a number warrior. It, it took to recover creatively. Uh, it took quite yeah. a bit, um, but I did, did recover. And during that time I edited book three and then we got it released in, um, in 2020. <laughs> How could I forget that? <laughs> so we released it in April of 2020. And I had actually already been writing on book four as well before I started A Numpa Warrior. I had already started on book three was written. I'd start on book four and I put okay. two books on pause. And so now they are both out and I'm working on book number five. Yeah. And do you have, um, is it six books planned for the whole series? I do have six books planned for the whole series. So 2000, uh, the mm, fifth book will come out in this fall of 2022 and looking at book six coming out in 2023. Oh, that's great. So what are you hoping readers will experience when they're reading this series, the um, the Choctaw Tribune series? When readers read the Choctaw Tribune series, I'm really hoping that they take away the facts and the history of the Choctaw people, but even more so the heart. I love to say that historical fiction, uh, his- history gives you the facts, but historical fiction lets you live it. And yeah. this series invites readers into actually experiencing what the Choctaw people went through during that time period. That was pre-statehood Oklahoma. And the Dawes Commission was leading up to the individual land allotments that ultimately dissolved the Choctaw Nation in that sense, or that was its purpose, was to divide the tribe up with individual land allotments. We actually, we reestablished the Nation in the 1970s and 80s and became the sovereign nation that we are today that is still a, a thriving tribe. We have over 200,000 tribal members across the United States and around the world, really. Um, wow. And what I, with the Choctaw Tribune series, what that does and, and what I've been told that it does is it's timeless. So there's not actually mm. a time separating that past with today. And I think that when people read the Choctaw Tribune series, they will see and experience even a lot of the things that are going on in the tribe today. You know, but it's still in that very accessible, entertaining, good story kind of way. Right. How fascinating. So you brought up Anumpa Warrior, which um, I have to tell you that my my son saw this book in my room and he immediately grabbed it and was like, can I, can I read this? <laughs> I so, yeah. so I was going to ask, and it sounds like you kind of covered your answer. I was going to ask if it's appropriate for a 12 year old boy. It sounds like Yes, probably. Although you said there's more violence in, there, there in that is one some, because of the war. Yes. And, and war and violence is never glorified in my books. It is a part of the stories, especially given right. that time period and given the war, there are some, some difficult um, scenes, but nothing that lands in the realm of just extremely gory. Right. Okay. Can you tell me more about Anumpa Warrior and why you felt like you wanted to write this book about Choctaw Code Talkers? Absolutely. Whenever I would go and speak, I've done a lot of speaking at libraries and museums and places like that, genealogy societies. And whenever I would go speak at them, especially outside of Oklahoma, which I'm, I'm in Texas, uh, but I go mm-hmm. to Oklahoma quite a bit for, for research and events. Mm-hmm. But whenever I would speak at pretty much any event that was not Choctaw or not Native, I would usually end with, who's heard of the Navajo Code Talkers of World War II? 
and every hand in the room would go up because of all the recognition they've got, but most especially because of the movie Wind Talkers, mm-hmm. uh, which is not PG-13. <laughs> but, you know, so many people know about it through, through that film, through entertainment. And then I would right. ask who is familiar with the Choctaw Code Talkers of World War One, and not a single hand would go up. And people mm-hmm. asked me, you know, well, how did you first, when did you first learn about the Choctaw Code Talkers? And I was like, you know, honestly, I can't remember a time of not knowing about them. Like, that's just who, how I grew up with going to Choctaw events and being Choctaw. My grandfather was was very proud of being Choctaw. And, you know, just knowing that history and then knowing that there was such a gap with between people who knew about it, I wanted to tell that story. And again, I, I wrote that as a flash fiction, even years before, I think seven years before I started actually my novel project, I had written just a little flash fiction on it. And I just knew that that was someday that was going to be a book project that I was going to do. That's wonderful. Um, and it I, that's one that I scanned through a little bit. I wish I had more time to read it, but it looked really, really intriguing. So I hope I'll get back to that after my son reads it. (laughs) If if only we had more reading time. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. So you also mentioned your Doc Back Westerns. And can you talk more about those? Because when this episode airs in June, I think you'll be in the midst of releasing some novellas that are go along with that series. Is that right? I will. So books five, six, seven, and eight are coming out the first half of this year of 2022. And then I'm looking. Oh, are they all novellas? All those? They're all novellas, actually. Okay. I went with that format because novels, Allison, they are a drain on me (laughs) as a writer. (laughs) I understand. Yeah, you, you know, you've written and yeah. to try to put together a story that all is connected in 80,000, 90,000 words and making sure that, you know, just all those plots and subplots. Right. And characters, right. Oh my word. There's so much <laughs> to a novel and I love them. And I'm so grateful for the novels that I've written. Uh, my current newest one, Sovereign Justice, which is book four in the Choctaw Tribune series is actually my no- longest novel to date just because so much has been building through this series. And, you know, I, I love that. I love, you know, being able the things you're able to explore in a novel length. It's just not something I can do very often <laughs> to, to put it yeah. that way. It's something I can do once a year, you know, as you saw those gaps, maybe it's once every few years. And well, I understand that. I was going to say, I understand that needing that time to ke- recover creatively mm-hmm. after you, wrote an umpha warrior too. Yes. And and whenever you're just getting to where you really hate those 90,000 words, mm-hmm. and you just need a break. So that's what, one of the reasons why I created the Doc Beck series and I intentionally did it as a novella series. So each story is about 20,000 words, which is a fourth of what I normally do, but I'm able to do them in, you know, a quality, but you know, quick way, if you want to say, just as far as like, right. don't take me a year to do. And it get, allows me to offer my reader something to read in between those long stretches for the novels. And it has just been very well received. Uh, my readers have just really latched on to some of the main characters. And I've actually got a spinoff series for the sidekick in this series, uh, Jimmy, oh. that I'm looking toward doing later this year or this next year. 
Uh, but oh, that's as, far fun. As, as far as the Doc Beck series, so uh, Dr. Rebecca LaRoche is the main character and she's known as Doc Beck. So, of course, a lot of people think when they see Doc Beck that it's a male main character, but it, it is a female. Um, and so she goes by Doc Beck, which gets her in the door before they slam in her face because she is a woman in the 1890s as a female physician. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's been described as a sophisticated spitfire with remarkable people skills. And a foot in the door is all she needs to do her job. But that work doesn't always fill the longing in her heart for a place to truly call home and someone beyond herself to believe in. So she is really on this journey of Mm -hmm. discovering home. And that's a common theme throughout all 12 books. There'll be a total of 12 books in that series. Wow. That's really cool. Um, And I love that idea of having shorter things for your readers to read in between. Um, So you mentioned, I kind of want to go back to where you you mentioned that you wiped all those things off the board and surrendered it all to God. And then was it seven months later, God brought, brought writing back into your life? Yes, about seven months later. Can you tell me more about how he did that and what your first kind of how you started this um, full-time career and, and how, how it built. Very slowly with tiny little <laughs> steps. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I was, we were actually in the middle of a family health situation with my grandmother. Mm-hmm. We were taking her to treatments into Dallas, the big city <laughs> for us. I live in a small mm-hmm. town in East Texas. I would drive her in every day or about three or four times a week for her treatment. And and she did really well on that. During those times, though, I would have a couple of hours to kill while she was in treatment. So sometimes I would go to the botanical gardens. But one of my favorite spots was to go into the bookstore and I would just browse around. And I was in the magazine section and I saw Writer's Digest and I just picked that up. And it was just like this immediate sense of this is it. Get going. (laughs) I was like, Mm. all right. So I bought that uh, edition and just a quick caveat. I I don't currently subscribe to writers. Just this isn't a a recommendation for them, but this was at that moment what I needed that, that I really felt, you know, the Lord was prompting me and saying, this is it. Get going. Yeah. From there, I, began going online and researching because we did have the internet in those days, which was wonderful. (laughs) I I grew up in that time where, you know, was pre pre computers and pre internet uh, till my mid teens. Mm -hmm. I went on there and I began researching and I came across this absolutely wonderful website called faithwriters.com. And they had a weekly writing challenge. I began getting involved in forums. If we remember what those were, Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a very active forum, wonderful, wonderful writers on there who were very happy to to do that reach back and, and pull the new writers forward. I got into doing the writing challenge and I made a commitment to submit every week until I reached the master's level. And it took me 16 months. Um, but I wow. really, there was a lot of competition, like I said, phenomenal writers and there was four levels. So whenever you topped out in your level, which beginners was very hard to even break out of because there were so many. Then you had to top out in intermediate, advanced, and then reach masters. So I eventually did win that overall competition, which floored me at one point. Wow. I wrote over, I think, 60 flash fictions. And again, that was the birth of 
a Nupple Warrior. That was when I first wrote that. And that's also the birth of Matthew and Ruth Ann Teller of the first flash fiction that became the seed for the Choctaw Tribune series. So those were my right. very early days. I also got involved in a local critique group. I went to Toastmasters, which was phenomenal for public speaking because I knew that was going to be a part of my journey. Mm-hmm. It was just a lot of prep things for about that first three years of meeting other writers, reading tons of writing craft books and going to conferences, really developing my skills as a writer and also in marketing. Right. So you you do it so well. And I wondered, are you okay with us talking about why you chose um, to indie publish? Absolutely. That was a, that was a very conscious decision. In mm-hmm. 2012, I was accepted into the Smithsonian's National Museum of the American Indian Artists and Leadership Program, which I would not have wow. applied for had my mother not forced me. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm grateful that she did. She's the one who discovered the program and called the program director. And he was like, oh, I'm so glad you did. I'll help you with your application. And the first year I did not get it, uh, but we reapplied the second year. And I received the grant, spent Mm. two weeks in Washington, D.C. doing research, which, oh, if you can ever go to the archives (laughs) doing historical fiction research, it is a marvel. Uh, I got to yell in the Library of Congress and (laughs) went walking on Independence (laughs) Avenue. It was a wonderful trip because we had guides the whole way, people who were at the Smithsonian or at the different places that we were going to, who basically escorted us around and showed us the ropes on how to do this research. And when I say we, I'm speaking of my mother and I, so we do okay. a great deal together. And uh, the other artists, they were, they were pretty jealous that my mom got to come. <laughs> was like, man, I should have brought my dad. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. so, so I'm very grateful um, for that. Just as a side note, and I will get to the indie publishing my my dad had passed away two days before I got that phone call that I was accepted oh, no. the NMAI program. And so that just felt like God's cushion, you know, that he put that out for me and my mom uh, to be a part of that mm. program. And it just swept us away for the next year. So just a few months after that, I was in Washington, D.C. And doing that research, brought it back to my community and did a historical fiction writing workshop at the Choctaw Community Center in Durant. We had 20, uh, yeah, it was 20 Choctaws from five U.S. states that came for that workshop, which was absolutely thrilling to have people there. And several of them, I opened it up for them to submit for the anthology as a part of my program uh, with the NMAI that I was doing. And so several of the authors submitted. We ended up gathering up a few more stories. I had actually mm. hoped, because as part of the program, I was to publish a book of Choctaw removal stories or Trail of Tears stories, and I had hoped that the NMAI would publish it, and uh, because they do have a press, and so yeah. I talked to them about it, and they only do nonfiction, and I was like, ah, oh, we're, we're doing historical fiction, and they were like, you know, Sarah, you've done so much research on writing and publishing we trust you to just publish this yourself if you want to. That was essentially what they, what they told me. And I was hmm. sure, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> so I had actually been on the verge of publishing a short story collection when my dad passed. Hmm. So, so I took that up and I, I did start to submit it to a few other small presses. But honestly, what it came down to and still comes down to is creative control. 
And that mm-hmm. was something that was so important to me because of the, the spiritual or the Christian aspects through to the cultural aspects. And when you turn your project over, there's, you just give up a lot of creative control that, you know, and I know there's tons of authors that do that. And that's a phenomenal path. It just wasn't the path that I don't think I was meant to walk. And so I began putting this together and picking up my research on doing this public publishing. It's so much easier now <laughs> than it was then. It took me two weeks just to create the ebook for Touch, wow. became Touch My Tears, Tales from the Trail of Tears, which was my first book. Mm. It was a collection that I did with the nine other Choctaw authors who had been at my workshop. And we picked up a couple of other stories as well. That began my journey with indie publishing. And again, it's gotten so much easier. I do get professional help when I need it. Uh, All of my cover designs are done by professional graphic designers because that's just something I don't touch. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'm very grateful for for the talent that I have on that. And then I pretty well do everything else. My mom is the primary editor still (laughs) because she's always catching, especially cultural notes. And so I'm very grateful to have her going through each of my stories. And I have a couple of volunteer editors, uh, some of my best, two of my best friends. Actually, one of them did the Doc Beck covers because she's a mega talented writer, filmmaker, graphic designer, Molly Reader. So just want to give her a shout out. Uh, She's a master writer and also very talented in graphic design and volunteer to do my Doc Bet cover. So we've been having a blast doing that. I have no regrets doing indie publishing and um, to see where God takes me to. I actually, I guess I can reveal this. I did sign my first traditional publishing deal with a small press. Oh, really? That I'm, I'm very excited about. It's going. To did you? I'm sorry. Did you say the name of the press? I Chickasaw Press. Okay, sorry. It was like cut off because I talked at the same time or something. <laughs> That's fine. So Chickasaw Press, which I've worked with them for several years now on different projects and magazine articles, and I pitched a book to them a couple of years ago to do on Otis Leader, who was one of the Choctaw co talkers, who was also Chickasaw. And mm. I've, I've written articles on him. He was in my book, A Nupa Warrior. I just consider him one of the greatest World War I heroes. And his story is so little known today. He was given a lot of um, accolades whenever he was alive. But I really mm-hmm. wanted to do his story. And so the Chickasaw Press is supporting me in that. And that should come out in the fall of 2023 if everything goes well. Oh, wonderful. That sounds amazing. Is it? Um, is it going to be fiction or nonfiction? This is actually going to be nonfiction, more okay. styles of uh, lines of an autobiography. Okay. Wow. That's cool. Um, so this is a question I ask all my guests and you may have heard it if you listen to the podcast podcast at all. Mm-hmm. How do you think learning about history through story helps us approach life in the present? Oh, I love this question. And yes, I absolutely listen to your podcast, Allison. <laughs> Thank you. I love that, that you do this uh, historical fiction unpacked. And if I can ask you a question after I answer this one um, about your podcast, but I think historical fiction, uh, there's so many ways I can answer this because again, it's what I grew up with and I believe we need to know our history. And again, historical fiction lets you live that, not just reading dates. It's like when we hear a story, we actually remember that. But I specifically wanted to 
bring out this review that I recently received on Anupa Warrior, the Choctaw Code Talkers, from someone mm-hmm. who spent 24 years in the U.S. Army. And the, the Choctaw Code Talkers, they were U.S. Army, whereas the Navajos were Marines. So it was really fun getting to dive into the U.S. Army history with this. But the reviewer, after he he read the book and he said, even though he had been raised in the military, studied about war in school and in the military, he served in Vietnam, that he didn't get a feel for what it was like uh, to be a soldier uh, mobilized from citizenry uh, who finds himself at the front on the battlefield within a relatively short period of time. And he says the Mm -hmm. active service ended in 1989 and Sarah's book was not published until 2018. I feel I would have been a better soldier and a more capable leader had I known then what I believe I have gained in knowledge and understanding from reading this story. So that wow. that really struck me of the the power of historical fiction and the things that we learn from the past to bring into the present. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. Um, you wanted to ask me a question? <laughs> I did, if that's all right. Yes, I sure. To ask because. Doing a podcast is such an enormous amount of work and (laughs) not everyone can appreciate that as a creator. uh, I can do, I definitely do appreciate the amount of work and commitment of what inspired you and has motivated you to keep this podcast going, uh, to start it and then to keep it going. Mm, Well, I think I just, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts, um, I have to kind of limit myself because <laughs> time again, although it's easier to listen to podcasts while you're doing things like cleaning the house. So multitasking is typically it's when I listen to my podcast is when I'm doing something else. So it's a little different from finding time to read. Absolutely. But um, I also, I just, I love the format of podcasts and I, I love that anyone can do it. Yeah. <laughs> so I kind of had in the back of my mind that I might like to do one sometime, but I didn't know what it would be about. And in 2019, I went to a um, a conference, the SoCal Christian Writers Conference in Southern California. And Thomas Umstadt Jr., whose podcast I also listened to, he did a class on how to how to start a podcast. So I took that class and. I just kind of filed away the information for when it would be a good time. And I then in the spring of 2020, when everything, when the world shut down for a while, his podcast, Thomas Umstead's podcast, he did a podcast about how to use all this extra time you have, which I just (laughs) laughed hysterically at because I have three children who were no longer in school when everything shut down and I was homeschooling them just because I was forced to. Now, this is not not because I have a problem with homeschooling. I actually, um, I was homeschooled. I have homeschooled and I fantasize about homeschooling frequently. So, um, but it's still like, I, I didn't have any extra time. I had less time than I normally had had before that. Okay. So actually when they went over the summer and when they started back to school is when I started this podcast and I just felt... Um, I guess the reason I brought up his podcast in which he talked about um, things you could do with your time. And one of them was starting a podcast. He talked about kind of discovering your focus and, and finding a a niche that wasn't 
really covered. Um, so I realized that uh, it could expand my contacts within the publishing industry if I interviewed historical fiction authors. And I, I love writing historical fiction and I love reading historical fiction. Um, so it just seemed like a great opportunity to both serve readers by bringing them interviews about interviews with historical fiction authors, and then also hopefully, you know, expand my, my own community. And it really has done that. Um, I had a hard time. I don't know. I think that historical fiction authors tend to be, I don't know if this is a fair general generalization, but I think that they might be a little bit more introverted at, um, conferences and, and places you might meet them. (laughs) So, um, I had a hard time finding kind of, um, a community of people in this genre. And now I do feel that I know a lot more historical fiction authors personally and, and, you know, keep in touch with them more. And it's, it's been wonderful in that way. I think that's a pretty fair generalization on historical fiction authors that we're kind of the introverts among the introverts. At a writer <laughs> <laughs> I know uh, whenever I went to ACFW American Christian fiction writers in, in Dallas uh, in 2015, that they had everyone break off into genre groups. And so there was about 20 or so historical fiction authors. And I don't think between all of us, I, I, I'm probably the one that talked the most. <laughs> I was like, so what do you write? Uh, historical fiction. <laughs> <laughs> That's about as, as far as we got, I think. Uh, but I love that. And I love that you're committed to it because I, I don't believe that there are a lot of podcasts that are de- dedicated to historical fiction. And, and like you, I'm, I'm always listening to podcasts. And so whenever I discovered yours and the focus on historical fiction, I just really loved it. Oh, thank you. I actually, since then, I think there are two others. Those are... Um, dedicated to his um, Christian historical fiction, whereas mine is broader, even though I am a Christian and I, you know, so my books are always going to reflect that. Um, I didn't want to limit it just to Christian historical fiction, though it does. Sometimes that gets a little complicated where I, I want to make sure that since a lot of my listeners are Christians, I want them to know, okay, this book, um, you know, has material that you wouldn't find in a Christian book, but mm-hmm. yeah, that's always not your books. Yeah. I'm talking about the, <laughs> the, uh, with the ones in the general market. Yes. That's always good to know. Yes. So you, you said that a lot of homeschool families read your novels. And so I was wondering, were you homeschooled? Mm-hmm. I was from the time I was born all the way through. <laughs> wow. Uh, yes. I was actually in the womb during what my parents called the Austin Tea Party in Texas in the 80s when they were actually trying to pass a bill to make homeschooling illegal during that Mm. time. And my parents had already been homeschooling my older brothers. And so they were part of a massive outpouring of homeschool families that uh, filled the, I started to say invaded, we'll say filled the (laughs) Texas uh, Capitol during that time in the, in the, viewing gallery out in the hallways and outdoors uh, all of it and they they took a stand for homeschooling then and that's one of the reasons why it's legal even in texas so i'm very grateful wow for that. and I'm, I'm very grateful 
for my homeschool experience and that base uh, along with my 4-H experience back in the early days. Mm -hmm. Grew a great deal with that. I'm still an introvert, but I forced myself to be an extrovert. And <laughs> I think those those programs and the things that I was a part of growing up was a, a huge help to that. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And then I was curious how, because you talked so much about how you wanted you know, artistic control of your book so that you could include the faith element and um, how important your faith is because, I mean, you surrendered everything mm -hmm. to God and he gave you back writing. Um, how, uh, it sounds like your your family were Christians, is that right? Yes, yes, ma'am. And does that go back to your your Choctaw roots or is, is there a story of I'm, salvation that that you could share. Yes, I am so grateful that you asked that actually because one of Well, it's not something I typically ask, but I I felt like it was just so interwoven to this conversation that I wanted to absolutely. bring it out. Absolutely. And so that's a really big question. I will start with as far as my ancestors and the Choctaw people did adopt Christianity immediately whenever they received it. We've actually been doing quite a bit of study this year on that of when the missionaries first came to the Choctaw Nation in 1818 and how mm -hmm. readily it was embraced, not by all, but there were, we would say the majority, and that's, that's kind of something that's debatable right now, but a great many of the Choctaws embraced Christianity. And there are so many stories of when they crossed on the Trail of Tears from the 1831 to 1833, and then the removal continued on after that, but that was the main body that they would sing hymns in Choctaw during mm. during the the, uh, the crossing. And they weren't direct translations of our hymns today, but they were a reflection of the hymns. And that was something that in Toshba's story, that, that's really my strongest one that I, that I point to as far as that early Choctaw history, because Toshba, I base that on an actual manuscript that had been written by uh, his son. And Toshba, before they crossed, his band was about a hundred Choctaws at Fires Point in Mississippi. And they were in debate about whether or not they would actually leave or if they would try to stay and file for us citizenship or, you know, what, what they were going to do. And they just, they did not want to leave their homelands of course, but right. the tribe had already removed as far as the entire Choctaw nation. And, and they removed primarily because it was either that or be annihilated or lose their sovereignty. Mm. So they did choose to remove to, to retain the tribe, but there were right. who, who remain. We have the Mississippi band of Choctaw today. So that band with Toshba, they were in debate about it. They did move onto the river at, in the Mississippi river at Friars point, And they were camped out there still in debate. And a runner came rushing into the camp saying, they're burning, they're burning our, our, our homes, the, they're burning the village, which was a common thing that was happening during that time with the Choctaws that were, had tried to remain were being burned out. And so that band there was raising their, their knives and their muskets, just shouting for revenge or vengeance. And mm -hmm. Toshba's father, Toshba was just a young boy at that time. His father stood up there on the banks and he raised his arms imitating a missionary that he had heard. And he basically gives a whole sermon there on the, the bank that was that was later recorded by what would what would be his grandson. But this man, Kanchi, Toshba's father, 
he raised his arms and he just called for them to to lay down their weapons and to not do like they did in the old ways where they would go and get revenge, but to to choose a better way. And I'm assuming he had a Bible because he said, you know, this is this book that the white man brought, even though the white man doesn't always do what it, what what's in it. I believe that this book makes a new man, whether he be red, black or white. And I believe we need to follow this way. Mm-hmm. And all of those that in agreement to stand with him and the, the vast majority stood with him. And so they chose to lay aside their weapons to forgive and do what he called them to do. Uh, he said that maybe the great spirit wants us to go to the new land that we could do a good for other people. And that's just such a, a powerful story. And there's, there's way more. Wow. And it's in my novella, Toshba story. But okay. what, what that did is it just began this, and, and that, that's one example of it, uh, began a legacy of faith among the Choctaws that has continued on through to today, where uh, both of our, our two chiefs um, in the past and present chief have declared us a Christian nation. And we have the Ten Commandments wow. at, our, at our capital grounds in Tushkahoma. So that's definitely um, a strong, strong part of my, my Choctaw Heritage books, um, because a lot of yeah. people and a lot of other natives experience wasn't similar to the Choctaw. Christianity was forced on them. Uh, they were beat mm-hmm. in schools and, and all of those really sad stories and, and just tragic. The Choctaws had yes. a different experience. And that's something that people, and talking about generalities, that's something that people just kind of generalize as the native experience. Uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. there were some 500 tribes here and they all had different experiences. And, you know, we want to make right. those, those distinctions. So all of that said, <laughs> with my own family, yes, I have had a heritage of faith passed down to me, especially through both my parents uh, very strongly. Uh, my daddy that I mentioned, he, he passed in 2012 and I know he's with yes. Jesus. And there was not hardly a conversation he would get into at the grocery store or wherever that it didn't, it didn't lead to uh, him telling people about Jesus. And he was a singer and songwriter wrote some absolutely annoyed songs that, you know, I love sharing when I, when I had the opportunity. So that's definitely who I am and the heritage and legacy that's been passed down to me. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that, that beautiful story. So, this has been a fantastic conversation, Sarah. What is the best way for listeners to follow you? My website, sarahelizabethwrites.com, and that's Sarah with an H, Elizabeth with an S, not a Z, mm-hmm. W-R-I-T-E-S. I always have to spell out my name, so sarahelizabethwrites.com. I am also uh, releasing, oh, so on that website, there's a place where you can join my reader newsletter and you'll get a free copy of Touch My Tears, Tales from the Trail of Tears. You'll get a free e-copy of that. You can also find me on facebook.com uh, forward slash Sarah Elizabeth Sawyer. That's Sawyer, S-A-W-Y-E-R, or like Tom Sawyer, as I have to tell people sometimes. <laughs> um, <so like laughs> yes. Sawyer, Sawyer. And I'm also releasing, uh, just released some fiction courses. So you can find me fictioncourses.com. And um, so I'm excited, excited to be having that underway this year as well. Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. Absolutely. Allison, it's been a pleasure. Yako Key, thank you again for having me. 
Well, my friends, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Sarah Elizabeth Sawyer. I just thought she had so many interesting things to share with us. And I know you learned a lot from listening to her. So make sure you visit the show notes, either in your podcatcher app or at alisontreat.com slash blog. That's A-L-I-S-O-N-T-R-E-A-T dot com slash B-L-O-G. There you will find links to Sarah's books and also to her social media and her website and everything else I can think of to link to there. I was so inspired by Sarah's story of surrendering everything on that whiteboard to God that um, I just thought it was an amazing, beautiful illustration of what happens when we give all of our life to God and allow Him to show us what we are meant to do and what He has for us. So I wanted to share a quote with you. This comes from Marianne Williamson, who said, The moment of surrender is not when life is over, it's when it begins. And we definitely saw that in the life of Sarah Elizabeth Sawyer. Her writing career started after she surrendered. So my friends, keep surrendering and keep reading historical fiction. I will talk to you again next week. 